You're listening to Sprogcast, a podcast for people interested in pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and early parenting. Sprogcast is presented by Mark Harris and Karen Hall and sponsored by Pinter and Martin. This is episode 56 of Sprogcast and in a change from what we actually promised you, we've got an interview with Amy Brown about her new book, Informed is Best. I'm Karen Hall and he's Mark Harris. Hello! Hi. <laughs> Sprogcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pinter and Martin, an independent publishing company with a wonderful range of books, including the Why Matters series at pinterandmartin.com. And remember, you get a 10% discount if you buy from Pinter and Martin and use the word Sprogcast. Is that all capital letters, Karen? I don't think it matters. All right. Sprogcast as a code at the checkout. Now, we also invite you, the listener, to support the show on Patreon, where subscribers get a sneak preview of the show notes, extended interviews, and exclusive bonus content. That's at patreon.com slash sprogcast. There's also a range of sprogcast merchandise, including T-shirts, badges for people who sign up for £2 uh, a month or more. That's two dollars a month or more, in fact. So even less. Even less. I think it's a fiver, isn't it? You get a t-shirt. So, yes, that's right. Yeah, five dollars gets you a t-shirt. And recently, uh, some people asked us for mugs recently, and I did get, actually get a quote. I'll I'll send you it, Mark. See what you think. Oh yeah, I think we should do mugs. I want one. Oh, it's not cheap. <laughs> oh, no, I bet it ain't. And I've I've got half a garage load of bloody t-shirts left. It's so. the half a garage of t-shirt that stops me from thinking we should invest in mugs. Let's get rid of some t-shirts. I know they're moving down. They're moving down and people are starting to sponsor us. The other important thing we need to remind you about is that we're collecting listener questions for our December episode. No set topic. Ask us anything you like. Um, send us a sound file of your question to be included in the show. So just um, catch us on Facebook or drop an email or somehow get hold of us. <laughs> we'll we will tell you how to send us a sound file if you want to do that. But we'd love to have your questions and we will send a T-shirt for everybody who sends yeah, us Yeah, we will. How many questions would be optimum, do you think? I think we had four or five last year, didn't we? Yeah, so should we go for eight? Yeah, well, we'll go for as many as we can fit in and then we'll do the rest on Patreon. Come on, why, oh, why, oh, why are you not sending questions in, listeners? Do it. <laughs> Do it. There's loads of questions you could ask us. And I, I, I don't know about you, Karen, I, I like the questions that kind of push me a bit, that kind of challenge me about whether I'm going to say what I really think or not. Mm. I like that. I do. I, you, you, you may be less so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm, can I give a little shout out? To yeah, somebody? do it. Do it. I want to say hello to Jo Morrison, who I spoke to yesterday at a study day, and she's just started listening from episode one. So at some point, she'll get to episode 56 and she'll hear her name. <laughs> and she'll notice the uh, sound quality getting better and better and better. I said that to her yesterday. <laughs> no jingles in those early episodes. <laughs> yeah. We also need to explain what's happened to the Helen Ball interview. I have got the Helen Ball interview. Yay! Um I'm trying to decide what to do with it at the moment, but we wanted to put Amy into this show because her book landed on our our doorsteps and Oh yeah. Just seemed like such an interesting thing to talk about and yeah, we are quite fickle. Sometimes we just go, "Oh, oh, really want to do that one. Yeah. Let's do it now." Yeah, and the the books are the books are winner. You like it? I think so, yeah. I mean, I haven't read it all. But, you know, I've I've uh, read through and I, I like... Anyway, we're going to talk about it later, aren't we? Or, we can talk about it now. Well, I like, I like the emphasis on research methodology. Um, uh, that's probably because I love that whole area. I, I love reading research, thinking about research, critically analysing research. Because um, I think it's very important. You know, we live in a soundbite social media age. And uh, in, in the interview, Amy speaks a lot about how sound bites and headings, uh, clickbait it's called, isn't it, um, has a tendency to almost contradict the research findings themselves. And uh, uh, the book seeks to give us insight into how to read this stuff. I liked the feminism that came through it. And the chapter on how the news media shapes our views just made me feel anger. Yeah. Not towards Amy. No. 
the challenge is that these kind of headlines and the, and the way that we're being manipulated by uh, narrative magicians mm. is dangerous. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this the day after the leadership debate on ITV, during which time the, the Conservative, whatever they are, head office renamed their Twitter account as Fact Check UK, which is just a lie. It's a scandal. And, and it, it, I mean, staying out of party politics, I, I mean, I'm no secret about being left of centre, um, but staying out of politics, he says. Um, uh, I was going no, to say something about that because what was I going to say? It's gone. They're all liars. Well, the, the, the other thing is having social media companies being responsible for regulating this stuff. And, and mm. that's, that's the problem. Yeah. You know, that's a problem. If, if you know, uh, head office does this thing, which is manipulative, deceitful and lying. All right. And then we're, we're asking a company to legislate for that, you know, to when yeah. I say legislate to deal with it. You know, a company that has profits as its bottom line, you know, a company that's dependent upon, you know, uh, monetizing its platform. And and that's a concern to me. You know, it it it's not good for democracy. No, no. It, well, our democracy is in shreds, isn't it? But you said let's stay with. No, from I know, but, look, but we say it's in shreds. But you know, we we lambast. I do a little bit social media and you know YouTube and all of that kind of stuff, Instagram. But there is a certain amount of democratization in the ability to publish. The very fact that we've had a four-year running uh, show that airs and gets heard by, you know, hundreds of people um, is only due to social media uh, and technology moving forward. So it's it's a balance, right? Well, yeah. And this is the question that um, the lovely Joe Morrison asked me yesterday is, how on earth did you and Mark meet? Well, you phoned me up. No, I didn't. We met on Twitter. Did we? Yeah. How would we phone each other up without knowing each other? We met on Twitter first. Oh, and you wore blue or was it red? What? No, I'm joking. There's a song in there where they where they talk about Is how that... they met and they both have different views about how they met. But uh, anyway, so we met on Twitter, did we? Yeah. Brilliant. You you were saying something about making I don't know uh, videos or something, and I said there should there should be a podcast. Yeah, that's right. And then you rang me up. I remember you ringing me up, and I remember yeah. thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know whether we'll get on. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Jury's still out on that. Uh, yeah, you had a different view about the name. I remember. And uh, uh, and th thankfully, we went with your name, which is Sprogcast, which is pretty cool. Well, it's given us um, a broader remit, but also, don't forget, it's very intellectually intense. Yes, indeed. Uh, what a great interview that was. If you haven't heard, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Oh, yes. And I've got to do some feedback on that because I had an email which I now have to find, from Rebecca Steinfeld. And Rebecca is somebody who's been listening for a while, since she was pregnant, in fact. She works for Maternity Action. And we've had a chat once about um, some thoughts she had on the show. It was all really interesting. And shall I read this out? She said, I particularly enjoyed your recent episode on feminism and birth with Millie Hill, which was nice, but... She says, however, I'm writing to you now with my maternity action hat on to express some disappointment with how you co covered the issue of surrogacy in your last episode on IVF and surrogacy. She said, although the interview with David Gregory Kamar was interesting and touching, I was disappointed that your questions to him were not more probing and you didn't explore the complexity of this issue from a feminist perspective. Wow. She found the program imbalanced because we didn't include alternative perspectives and voices. And to be completely honest, I agree with this because when I finished editing that show, it didn't feel complete. Did you have a sense of what was missing? Well, I think it was this. I think it was the fact that we'd... I, I, putting aside the IVF interview, that stands alone as its own thing and that's not subject to her, um, her disappointment. We didn't really look into that 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 angle of it. The the um, she brings up the power imbalance between intended parents and surrogate mothers, and um, the rights of surrogate mothers, and the difference um, between the UK and the US. And she um, sent me 
couple of interesting links and a document about it, which I will put all of that on the show notes. Do it. And I will promise that we are going to come back to this subject with a proper feminist perspective and hopefully Rebecca's input. All right. And she's she's also at some point in the future going to write us a little article for Patreon. Well, let's let's kind of commit early next year to do that because I was contacted by one of uh, my previous students who uh, has been a surrogate mother. Brilliant. Uh, and is willing to be interviewed, so. That, that would be good. It would also be interesting if we possibly can, and this might be a bigger ask, to find somebody who's not had a very positive experience of surrogacy. Yeah. And, and your interview style isn't particularly Paxman, is it? No. <laughs> I mean, nobody who met me would expect my interview style to be particularly No, I know. And, and you were going for allowing uh, him to tell his story. Yeah, I was. And and that was the and, and actually, it might not have been him who I needed to push on the feminist aspect. It just might be that we could have had another guest who would have given us that perspective. Yeah. Well, let's let's revisit early next year, maybe. Yeah, totally. Let's do that. Cool. Karen. <laughs> yeah. How are you? <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. You've been busy. You've been teaching I... in London. Yeah, it's full on university time at the moment. So I've been doing my two breastfeeding knowledge for NCT practitioners module days. Um, and this year I was doing the Euston and Waterloo days. Last year I did Worcester and Sheffield. So this has been a dream yeah. to not have to leave the day before. Right. And you've been doing some education yourself, haven't you? Um, oh, well, my own study. Yeah. I'm doing a postgrad certificate in higher education at the moment how's that going oh it's really interesting actually it's um at the university of worcester and i'm experiencing being in a study group that isn't full of nct practitioners and students that's a good thing and in fact isn't isn't 100 percent women and that's quite an eye-opener for me it's been a very long time since i've been in that kind of environment right and what i can say to you is this men don't listen much sorry say that again Sorry, couldn't resist. Men don't listen much. That's a bit of a generalisation. I know. Well, what, what leads you to that spurious conclusion? <laughs> My experience of being in a group where I just, I don't feel heard. I feel like I get ignored a lot. So you say something and the men in the group don't respond? Just talk over it. But I'm used to being in an environment, and you are as well, because you work with women a lot, yeah. where there's a, a, a respect and a valuing of everybody's views and everyone feels heard most of the time. Right. Do you, so you interpret um, the actions as disrespect, do you? I just interpret it as invisibility on my part, okay. as being my, my views being less important, just not noticed. What are you going to do? I'll moan about it on a podcast, probably. <laughs> it's, it's worth it. Is there room to express that view in the group? Yeah, and I think I'm sort of thinking about it. But yeah, as you say, I'm not very Paxman. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about you? What's been going on for you? Uh, me, I've been in Bradford doing a Birthing for Blokes Day for um, one of the uh, groups up there, support groups up there. That was great. I had one man turn up in the evening, <laughs> which was great. I had a one-to-one -one with him about um, the pregnancy of his partner. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I did a professional's workshop in Bradford in the afternoon, which was great. And then I uh, was in Manchester doing a three-step rewind training with one-to-one -one midwives that were made redundant. So... We've now trained 26 one-to-one -one midwives in the three-step rewind process. That's really great. As a gift from Sprogcast, so they were really grateful. Uh, and then I was in Belfast training 20, um, well, not all birth workers, actually. The vast majority were short start family support workers in the three-step rewind. And then back home for a online Zoom live session with Red Tent doulas in training. So it's been busy. Now I'm at home, relaxing. That does sound a bit non-stop. Yeah, it has been, but it's only been a block of work. It, things slow down a bit now. And uh, leading up to Christmas, I think I've got, you know, quite a lot of downtime, thinking time, planning time. That's good. 
I'm not away much, but I've got a lot to do here because there's going to be draft essays coming in and things like that. Yeah. And how are your grades on your course? <laughs> how are my grades? Yeah. They're excellent, Mark. All right. All right. <laughs> Just checking. Just checking. <laughs> it's basically being taught to facilitate groups. So, you oh, know, it's, you it's not so far been a massive challenge. Can't imagine. There must be theoretical underpinning, though. Education, well, yeah, educational. I've, I have done that before. Pedagogy. <laughs> And all that? Yeah. Yes, andragogy even. What? Andragogy, is that what you say? Adult education. Oh. Pedagogy, children. Yes. All right, fair comment. Fair comment. Right, are you going to introduce Amy then? Okay, so I was very happy to um, be able to get Amy Brown at quite short notice um, it, it, and um, interview her about Informed is Best, which is such a good book and um looks nice on your shelf as well and amazingly because amy is just so ridiculously prolific she's also ready to publish a new why it matters book on why breastfeeding trauma and grief matters really i didn't know about that i did because she told me in the interview but it's not such a big scoop because they've sent out the press release already and i've seen it on social media but anyway here's amy Today I have got a slightly surprise interview with Professor Amy Brown, who is, as you probably all know, um, the Professor of Public Health Policy and Social Science at Swansea University. I we'll can see that. Okay, I can see her face on this recording, so she'll tell me if I'm talking nonsense. Um, yes. Specialising in infant nutrition, pregnancy, parenting, and so on. Yes. Yes, excellent. Mother of four books, three children, and one tortoiseshell cat. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. And we are going to talk about the book that has currently hit the shelves, um, Informed is Best. Hello, Amy. Hello. <laughs> it's strange. I never interview where I can see someone's face. This is the first time I've ever done this with a video call. So we're a bit giggly and we do apologise. Um, so I wanted to ask you, first of all, about um, how Informed is Best came about. What prompted you to write it? Um, I remember the conversation I had very clearly with Susan, the editor. Um, I was stuck with a delayed plane um, coming back from holiday uh, from Portugal. And I was having yet another argument with somebody over Facebook about a piece of research that had come out that had been completely misinterpreted and was being used to put women down to try and control them to laugh at them I can't remember the exact piece of research now but it was something to do it was either breastfeeding or birth it was somebody who we shall say is quite anti-breastfeeding and quite uh, pro-intervention in labour and we'd had this long argument and uh, I think I believe she'd written a piece about me and I just thought enough is enough uh, women are being kind of taken advantage of in a way probably that's the wrong word that makes it sound a bit weak but they're being taken down kind of these paths by people who are kind of completely misconstruing research that comes out and using it to try and get their own way over things and as you see it all the time don't you in the press headlines out every day telling women that there's a huge risk about something when if you actually go back to the research you know, it was in mice or something like that. Mm. So I decided I was going to write a book that would actually kind of try and bring some kind of awareness about all of this, of what to look for, how to recognise you're being misled, how to find the actual bit of research and what questions to ask about it. So looking through the book, what I'm seeing is lots on research methods and how to understand it and think about where it's come from. Yes, in a very easy to read way, in a nice, a nicely geeky way. But I think Martin called me geekily accessible or something like that. Um, <laughs> or accessible, accessibly geeky. <laughs> accessibly geeky, one of the two. So uh, it's really asking quite simple ways in which you can check things, bringing your awareness around kind of the tricks that the media may have played, um, limitations in the research how to spot whether the research kind of applies to you. So a lot of research that we hear about or is used almost as a weapon sometimes when you start digging underneath the real story, there are real limitations to it that aren't kind of, well, they kind of mean that what they're trying to say is not actually really what was found. 
Right. So it seems like it's coming from quite a, a sort of quite a feminist place. In- definitely a feminist place. It's definitely a very, rather than telling parents that there's one way to care for a baby or to have a baby or to grow a baby, well, there is only way to grow a baby, but you know what I mean, um, <laughs> one way to act during pregnancy. It's giving them the tools that they need to spot where they're being misled. And there is a big section in there um, about a current issue that is really, really getting to me is that so few researchers are actually from any kind of diverse background at all. So the vast majority of people who get the research funding, who are in the senior research positions, are middle class white men. Something like in the UK, 68%, I think, of professors are white men. So white men, as lovely as they are, tend to do, well, anybody tends to start researching the things that they're interested in. So what we have is this whole body of researchers of a certain type researching the things that are of interest to them. And it's very rarely women's experiences around babies, growing them, birthing them, caring for them. So we're already at this complete kind of lower position when it comes to actually getting the research out there. Because as women, certainly researchers who come from any background who aren't white who come from working class backgrounds, they're not reaching the positions where they're getting the funding, they're getting the research jobs, getting a chance to talk about their research. So everything is skewed towards more of a medical model because yes, there are lots of researchers perhaps who are male in childbirth and babies, but they do tend, and not everyone, but they do tend to look at more kind of clinical outcomes and kind of testing interventions and things like that, rather than doing qualitative research around what matters to women. And all of that then kind of gets swept under the rug as such. All these things that would really matter to women aren't getting done. So this then gets ends up getting kind of used against women where they go, well, there's no evidence for that. Or have you done this certain type of research? No, you haven't, right? There's no evidence for what you want to do. When for a lot of things, I don't know, something like cuddling your baby. It's ridiculous, isn't it? We have to have research that tells us that cuddling our baby is a good thing. Or, you know, leaving a baby to cry for hours might be harmful. Or research that says, you know, you have to prove that breastfeeding is good for babies. When you think it's completely physiological, normal behavior. So it all gets entangled up in that. And we're told that we don't have enough research evidence for things when we're not given the opportunity for the research that we want to be done as women to actually be done. That's quite important to you, isn't it? <laughs> it's really important to me. And it's, it's really getting to me at the moment because you see it all the time, don't you? On social media, you see, where's the evidence of that? Or oh, there's no evidence for that. There's no evidence. Show me the evidence that you should breastfeed. Mm. I think, why, why should we have to do that? Or show me the evidence that crying harms babies. And it's just like, oh, well, come on. <laughs> It's a hugely feminist book from that perspective. It's, it's really trying to talk about research in a different way. If you spent any time in research or reading about what a lot of people think is important in research, it will often tell you that different types of research are better than other things. Mm-hmm. So it often tells you that the randomized control trial is you know, the pinnacle of research. It's the gold standard. It's where we get our best evidence from. And that kind of works, although it has its limitations, if you're trying to test a drug or something like that and you want to measure one level of a drug versus another level of a drug. But when it comes to babies and human behavior, they don't necessarily work very well. And a lot of the time, the research that really makes a difference is smaller stuff. It's evaluation work. It's talking to women. It's hearing their stories. It's giving them a voice. And that type of research can sometimes be quite snobbily frowned upon when actually for women, it really makes a difference. And it's not saying that, you know, you know, should never do a trial, but we should be looking more broadly at different things. Yeah, we need the qualitative outcomes as well. We do. And it's, it's often seen as, you know, the poor relation compared to you know, the big, well-funded studies. But again, if you're going to say that it's only the big, well-funded studies that are important, you're kind of not including a lot of people. So 
to do a big trial, you'd literally have to have usually hundreds of thousands of pounds in research funding, when I think that could be better spent on other things, surely, to some extent. And you could get to be at a good university in a rich country. So, and women aren't getting those positions at the same rate. Um, you know, women of colour certainly aren't getting those positions at the same rate. I think in the UK, it's 1% of professors are black women. It, you know, it's a, it's a tiny, tiny proportion. So again, you're not allowing people the same power. You're keeping them down by telling them that the research that they're doing isn't as good. Do you see that changing? <sighs> yes and no. Um, to some extent, yes, but it's not going far enough yet. We're starting to talk about it a lot more, but we aren't necessarily seeing it necessarily getting the power that it needs mm. there's a lot of discussion going on about the importance of communities doing research not you know the big research professor coming in and asking questions and going away and doing something but rather communities identifying the research problems that are important to them and really driving that research and taking part right. of it from them and for them yeah the parenting science gang is it? yes that sort of thing and um uh, particularly in more private communities, making sure that the research fits what they need and what they want, rather than someone coming in and telling them what they should research. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So who do you expect to read this book? So everyone, obviously. <laughs> of course. I <laughs> think particularly we like them all to buy it, whether they read it or not, right? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> buy several copies and put them on a bookcase. Um, <laughs> So uh, I think it's going to help different people in different ways. So it has a lot of skills for anyone who is planning on having a baby, is pregnant, is a new parent, and is interested in really making decisions for themselves rather than necessarily being told what to think. So if you're really wanting a book that says, right, you must do this, you do this, you do this, this is the best evidence this is what you should do. It's not that type of book. It's about opening your eyes to what's going on. It's about being able to judge things for yourselves. So hopefully it's the type of book that then equips people going forward. So once they've read it, it helps them apply to everything new that comes out. It's the bad science of parenting, isn't it? It is, essentially. I think that's sort of where we started from and then really trying to, to teach the skills. It came out kind of as well as I was writing it against the idea, you know, that experts can possibly know all the research in all the areas across pregnancy, birth, baby, parenting. And there's an increase in books from some academics that are saying, um, I've read all the evidence, so um, I'm going to tell you what the best evidence is in all of these areas across the whole field. And often they're not understanding the context of what is going on because they're experts in research methods of a certain type. Yeah. So they don't get the context. So they might read the outcome of a study, but they don't understand why it's got limitations to it. Um, the research design is fine, but how they're measuring things um, might not be the best way. You know, you see, yes, you see that particularly for breastfeeding. There are a whole shocking load of research out there that measures outcomes for breastfed or formula fed babies when they consider things like was that baby breastfed at birth or not so they're basically comparing the difference of one vague lick of the nipple versus no and you just think and then they being used to say that breastfeeding doesn't matter yes. came across one just as i was writing the book that split women into did they breastfeed or did they not breastfeed and that was of course the title and that was what they put in the abstract of the paper. But when you read into the paper, the definition of not breastfed was anybody who didn't exclusively breastfeed for two months or more. That's a bit random. That's very random. So they could have breastfed for years, but if they gave the occasion a bottle of formula, then they were in the not breastfed group. But it must be almost impossible to find a decent sample size, both of women who did not breastfeed at all and women who exclusively <laughs> breastfed to any amount of time in England. <laughs> yes. So we, we are kind of hampered by those, those problems all the time. But back to your actual question. But, so parents in that way, yeah. but also everybody who's supporting them. Yeah. From trying yeah. And actually, so, I feel like they're the ones that really it's crucial Yes, to read because the, the people who are um, giving information or giving advice or 
helping parents in any way are the ones who um, they, they need to be doing this from a, a really properly thought through and considered position rather than just sort of, well, this is what I did. Um, yeah. And I've, I've read this study that supports it, so it must be right. Yeah, and it is kind of really talking about, you know, the idea of critical thinking around research, realising that you can pretty much find some kind of research study to support whatever you want if you just look at one. It's about yeah. kind of understanding that it should be about a big picture and, you know, looking at things like that. But for anybody who is supporting mum so anybody who is a doula or a breastfeeding counsellor is doing antenatal training anything like that it's about helping parents think critically and be aware of what is going on around them because the media is playing a lot of tricks and yeah. you know there are certainly camps out there you think of any kind of discussion area around birth and babies you know you know your camps you know the people who are out there kind of saying a certain thing and, you know, they, they can really kind of trick people. Um, yeah. You've got a whole chapter, I think, on social media. Yes. There are a lot of tricks that social media groups use, but they, they might not necessarily be knowing that they're doing it. So it's just that kind of feeling that if you're part of a group and they are all thinking a certain way, you start to believe that what they are saying must be absolutely true even though you know that everybody's there for a certain reason, you start then believing more and more and more of everything that they say. Mm. The social media has kind of increased that because years ago, if you had, say, something quite rare happen to your baby, um, you would only ever really meet the occasional person who also had that thing mm happen to your baby but if now you, you hashtag it now you hashtag it and you set up a global group and suddenly you've got hundreds of people and I see it all the time that someone will say well look there's hundreds of us that this has happened to and I'm thinking well yes it's extremely important for you I'm really sorry it happened to you but you're talking out of a global population here because literally the, the internet has you know enabled you to find each other which is good which is good it's good in depending on then what the group is trying to do mm. is it support or if it's trying then to say well this is a huge problem and um we need some kind of intervention around it you know you know what i mean yes i do know exactly what you mean <laughs> so we go all the way through through kind of how to read a research paper and who to trust and where to find your findings and it kind of accumulates in a trying to look at some different studies around what the actual risk is to the individual so one really big thing that annoys me out of media headlines is when they say you know oh you've got 10 times the risk of this if you do that when actually your individual risk is really really low yeah. so it so it might be, you know, if, if it's 10 times something, then what was the something in the first place? It, if it was an only a 0.01 chance, you know, it's 10 times that, not, you know, a huge risk. Yeah. But the, the media doesn't like that. They, they like to scare people. And so anything you can put a, a times or a percentage on, you can use it whatever way you like. So you can say, well, only 1% of the population, or you can say 1%, which is a lot of the population. <laughs> so it, it's talking all about, you know, understanding risk and understanding the risks we take every day and you can't completely eliminate risk. It's absolutely impossible. It's, it's there, you know, loads of people die falling down the stairs every day. We, we don't kind of avoid stairs because it, it could be a, a possible hazard. So it's, it's that kind of how do we make things safer rather than how do we stop women from doing things because there is a, a very small risk for it. So it talks about some of the um, more controversial subjects that get kind of huge debates online, such as, you know, what does the data really say about your risk for home birth or co-sleeping or um, induction versus not induction? So that those sorts of hot topics. Yeah, really hot topics come up all the time. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that. <laughs> um, have you read the Norm Chronicles? No. By David Spiegelhalter. He's... Um, oh, well, I know... I've know his um i've read something else by him i can't think what it's called now 
Yeah, I, I think he's, um, I can't remember what he describes himself as. It might be professor of risk or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he does lots of comparisons. Like yes. This. You're as likely to fall out of an airplane as this, as that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found that really helpful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no, I think, I think we include um, his website in there as a, a good one to go and have a look at in terms of looking at different reading about risk and stuff because yeah. it's, it's really putting it in context. Another accessible geek. Yes. <laughs> You're in good company there. <laughs> Okay, brilliant. So I think um, this is such a, an important book to come out because it's not like, as you say, it's not sort of the going through each study and telling you this is good and this is bad, like kind of bumpology or what's the other one, expecting better. It is much yeah. more bad science-y. It is, it is far more about equipping you with the skills to mm. make your own informed decision rather than telling you what is best. Um, it's much more empowering. Yes. So it, you know, and it allows you to put it, put things into your own context and consider what it matters to you and what other risk factors you might have. And it also has a chapter in kind of thinking back and reflecting and getting support if you haven't been able to make the decisions that you wanted to make. Yeah. So kind of thinking about, okay, so placing all this in context now. Yeah. That is so. great. Yeah. So as, as a breastfeeding counselor who, Antenatal will often get asked, you know, well, what, what difference does it make if we didn't breastfeed? What is the difference in outcomes? <laughs> it's helpful to read something like this to give you that perspective and context and language to be able to tackle that in a really straightforward way that doesn't put values across. Yes. Yeah, it, it really does, you know, allow you to make your own decision rather than, and I've tried to be very careful not to say that any one thing is better than another thing you know and really try to make sure that there's no uh, emphasis on one thing rather than another thing and I talk about my own preferences and my own bias in there because you know yeah, I saw that yeah that's it's, it's really you know, the reflective section at the start <laughs> you know I'm not going to criticize other people before also pointing out that my research has lots of limitations too everybody's does every book should have that it should <laughs> I thought that when I was reading that I was thinking every book should have something where the author says here is my bias yeah yeah brilliant nice one Amy <laughs> <laughs> thank you for writing this um it is already out um for publication from Pinter and Martin and all the usual places well I'm going to go and get a cup of tea and curl up on the sofa probably under a blanket and read the rest of it now <laughs> excellent thank you brilliant Good interview, that. I, I enjoyed it. And my ears always prick up when I hear you say it's a good book, you know, because I respect your uh, judgment when it comes to books that are out there. It's another book on informed choice, isn't it? It's a book on critical thinking. Yeah, it is. But what? But critical thinking in the context of the choices that pregnant women make, right? Mm-hmm. That's been done. Rebecca Schuler. Millie Hill. But, what what but makes this not going what, into so what makes this, this one different sort of depth on um, where research is coming from and right. what those sources are and um, the the nature of bias yeah and things like that. They're writing about the their subject matter and Amy is writing about how to evaluate yeah. what other people are writing. I and I knew you were going to say that because as I peruse the book and look look through uh, Amy, you know, she's a professor, for goodness sake, with a rigorous academic background. This is a must-read for student birth workers of all kinds. Oh, definitely. NCT teachers, antenatal teachers, student midwives, student birth workers, yeah, of all kind, should be rushing out to buy this book and put it at the top of their reading list. Mm. Because there's nothing, because there's nothing more important than teaching people how to critically evaluate research, especially in this day and age it, with all the, yeah, you know, like we were talking earlier about Twitter. Yeah, you, you do need to be able to spot the fake news and call it out. You know, the people that are doing the research aren't seeking to generate false um, news, um, but that doesn't mean that their methodology isn't flawed and that their results have limited. Uh, generalizability. 
Yeah, I can remember a few years ago we had a book and I don't think we ever featured it because neither of us liked it, but they'd sort of done a, a review of research or or it was a book about child rearing from a, like a systems analyst perspective and she was using her yeah. background in computing. That's right. And we couldn't click with it at all, so I don't think... No, we, we didn't even mention it. I remember that. Hmm. I remember that. It, well, her metaphor didn't work for us really. No, and it's just one of those things. This I've you've I've read Bumpology by Linda Geddes and Expecting Better by Emily Oster, and those are books where they chapter by chapter go into the research and say, okay, so here's where it says you you can't have shellfish during pregnancy. Here are the studies. This is the conclusion. And while those are very interesting books, and for the most part very useful there's always a bit of bias that you can see coming through yeah and this because amy hasn't done that she's not gone into each study and said i'm such a great researcher that i can understand this study and, and then tell you what to think she's saying there are lots of studies out there here's how to think about them yeah no that's good and of course amy would be open about well as open as she can be about her own inherent bias mm, yeah and she is i admire her resilience and i do doubt i wonder about why she's motivated to engage in these online discussions because she does mm. you know she gets herself um you know thoroughly immersed in uh, online conversations and i don't know where she gets the energy frankly we should ask her that we, we should because I, I think she's doing social people on social media a service um, but there must be some emotional toll well, from that. It well, seems very stressful to me. We should ask her. You know, we were talking about doing longer bios next year. Maybe she could be one of our um, uh, Desert Island Disc subjects. What a great idea! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Desert Island birth professionals. <laughs> yeah, we could inter we could we could intersperse it rather than tracks. You know, rather than music, we could get people. Uh, to say what books at various stages of their life were influential. Yeah, that sounds like a <laughs> great idea. Yeah. Right, go we on. Are go I'm going to move us along. Do it. So you did an interview this morning, which I've actually not heard yet, but um, we're going to put that in here. Would you like to just say a little bit about what you uh, were doing? Yeah, well, we posted to the page today. Um, my, I was up in Manchester, in Liverpool uh, last week, and my stepdaughter um, asked me if I had heard what has happened with Clemmy Hooper, you know, the Instagram midwife who's an influencer, an Instagram influencer with something like 400,000 followers. Uh, One of the few people who has turned down an interview, just just to name our biases. Well, I was due to speak with her at an event that she cancelled at the last minute as well. Um, so I've never met her. Um, but apparently, and she's admitted it, she made up a fake um, profile and was trolling other Instagram influences pages with derogatory comments, including her own husband's page. Apparently she, she called him a giant or something. Um, but it's even more controversial because she uh, allegedly made some kind of racist comments and it all came out. People met, were able to uh, geotag her Um that apparently she posted as herself and as this uh, alias from the same geotag, which is a rookie error, right? I guess so. So who did you speak to about it? So I spoke to Nicola Goodall uh, of Red Tent uh, Doula Training Organisation, and I think it's um, Nicola Birthkeeper as well, but she gives all her details at the end of the interview. And she kind of gave a, a perspective, uh, you know, as a woman of colour who's working in the birth world. Great. Thank you for doing that. And let's listen to it. Nicola, thank you for being willing at such short notice to come on. 
tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm a birth keeper for the last 25 years, around about that time, um, from South London, and I live in Edinburgh. And um, general sort of perimenopausal mouthpiece about birth and women's health, and travel the world, nattering on, and um, trying trying to create a change. Actually, trying to create a change. And you you work with the Red Tent organisation. Yes, I do. That's right. So we have doula training and educator training and um, anything that we can do, you know, to sort of create more people out into the world. Brilliant. Well, I've got I've got you on because, you know, this stuff has come up in the media about Clemmy Hooper. Yes. Yes. Uh, First of all, because I've read a little bit about it, but what's what's at stake here? What, What what's the issue? What's gone on? So as I saw it unfolding, the first thing I saw was um, Candice Braithwaite's post um, where she declares herself as a previous sex worker and that her friends and family all know, but she was hoping that, you know, that she could wait to tell her children and um, she's been outed by somebody. And then the next step of the journey is it turns out she's been outed by her friend, Clemmie Hooper, who um, is accused of setting up a fake account. I believe she's held her hands up to say that she has actually yeah, done that. Yeah, she has. Yeah. I read that yesterday. Um, so she created a fake account, account in order for her to be able to troll all kinds of people, including her friends and her husband. And um, I believe there's some racism involved and um, right. just general nasty trolling behaviour. Right. So where does the racism come in? So I haven't actually read the exact text, so I wouldn't like to quote about that. But I mean, there's a kind of second part to the story as well, where Clemmy is exposed by another Instagrammer, influencer Akechi, and um, she just very clearly states the facts of what's happened. And then Clemmy's followers um, call for her to be taken off Instagram and they take down this black woman's account rather than Clemmy's. Um, so there's definitely was Instagram racism for sure um and i believe that she was being racist towards candice um in her fake profile i i i find it staggering because it's very complex and what what i wonder what was in her mind to do that there must be insecurity about her own work i don't know i mean to be honest the most disturbing element of it for me I mean the whole thing obviously is completely car crash compelling right for everyone to watch because she seemed so cool and so down and so on but the the most disturbing thing for me is that she is in post as a midwife at King's College which has a very high black and brown population being served so how is that you know how is it affecting her care if this is how she carries on with a friend you know, how is she carrying on with a woman in a vulnerable state giving birth? That's a huge concern for me. Yeah. And, and even, I mean, let's let's assume that she doesn't um, express the these kind of views when she's working as a midwife. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what about a woman of colour that comes in who's read the story? Well, quite. Exactly. Exactly. And also just knowing, I mean, the implications are so far reaching because, you know, if you're a woman that's worried that you might get that care when you go into that institution, you probably start to feel like you don't trust that institution anymore. So maybe you don't present at all. You know, this is this is the I remember a, a black midwife in L.A. doing a piece to camera about a call she got where a woman was terrified to come and have her baby in a in the hospital that she was booked into. She was terrified to have a black son because of the state of the world. And, and, she, and nobody ever knew what happened to her. She didn't turn up anywhere. She was invited to this midwife's birth centre. So that that's as far reaching as it can go. Who knows what happened to that mother and that son? So. I'm I'm very concerned. I really hope the Royal College of Midwives act on this one. It's the NMC, I guess, that will have to take a position. Right, okay. Yes, of course, because they're the kind of governing people. But also King's College as a trust, you know, they need to step up to. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks for giving us your take on that, Nicola. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Hey, where can, My pleasure. Where, where can people get in touch with you and the work that you're doing? So probably the easiest thing to do is to go to either website, redtentdoulas.co.uk or Nicola the Birthkeeper.
Brilliant. And uh, I, know, I, know, I know you've got a, a doula course going on at the moment. Is it, is it going well? We have. We have. So the first year of the educators course in Edinburgh and London are just completing. London just completed in Edinburgh this weekend. And it's been it's exceeded my wildest dreams. It's an incredible bunch of women. Fantastic. And again, mm. thanks for taking the time, Nicola. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for doing that interview, Mark. I am looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> and you've done another interview, which we're going to put up on Patreon. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed uh, Lindsay McCarthy Calvert, um, who is the woman uh, who posted a meme um, that certainly uh, upset um, some people in the transgender non-binary world um, and resulted in her leaving Dooley UK. So I interviewed her, I think it's about 27 minutes, asked her some pretty tough questions. So you were more, more Paxman-like. Yeah, well, you listen. I'm, I'm full on it. You know, I, I spoke to a number of people, got advice about the kind of questions um, to put to her. And I did. And I, I think we're planning to post the whole interview with very little editing. So I think that's a, a good bonus interview for you to uh, check out and have a listen to. Great. Well, I shall get that up in the next few days for people. Brilliant. And if you post the link to the page, Karen, people can comment on it there, can't they? Okay. That sounds like a good idea. Um, I think that's all we've got time for today. That's all we've got um, time for? I think so. That's gone quick. Is something else you've got burning that no, you want to talk about? No, I think, that's, I think I'm done. So firstly... Let's have some questions for next month. We would like them soon, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, just a little audio clip, or if you really, really, really don't want to record yourself, you can send it in writing. But we want some audio, audio clips. clips. It's lovely to hear all the voices, and we will send you a t-shirt. You'll get a, you'll get a t-shirt if you send an audio clip, and it's not hard to send an audio clip. You could do it on WhatsApp, all kinds of ways. Just direct message us. We'll tell you how to send it to us. We want you on air. Send us a, a question. Yeah, be heard. Be heard. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Yep, that's facebook.com slash Sprogcast and at Sprogcast on Twitter. Uh, and of course, check out the Patreon page. Uh, we'd love you to support us on Patreon. Uh, if you choose not to, that's fine. You can still access the content there. It just takes a bit a bit longer. Not not all of it. Some some is exclusive Patreon only Oh, is there? Oh. Yeah. Ooh. People pay money. We want them to have something special. Ooh. Well, most of it then. You can get most of it there. And if you're listening on iTunes, why not leave us a review? Five or four star will do. And we're also on Spotify these days. Oh, yeah. We've been on there a while, haven't we, on Spotify? Yeah, I found us by accident the other day. It's ace. That's good stuff. Spot so with Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, check us out. Leave a review. It does help. Um, and I think that's about it. So thanks for listening and goodbye from me. And goodbye. You've been listening to Sprogcast with Karen Hall and Mark Harris. The news we've been discussing is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Sprogcast. And don't forget you can buy great books from pinterandmartin.com using the discount code Sprogcast at the checkout.